Älskar du den här podden? Stötta den genom IKAs nya supporterfunktion. Det är helt upp till dig hur mycket du vill bidra med och det finns ingen bindningstid. Klicka på länken i poddbeskrivningen för att visa din uppskattning och stötta podden. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You got a plane to catch, I, I guess. Yeah, flying that. I think it's not till four fifty. Okay, okay. So. But I'm I'm expecting this to take a bit more than one hour, perhaps. Fine. Yeah. But but like I said, let me know if you need a <coughs> if you need a break. I really love the North Face Speaker series, where selected North Face athletes from the international team tours the world and inspires their audience. For me, these are also excellent opportunities to expand my list of international names in my gallery. My name is Magnus Ormestad and this is the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. Andy Hausman would probably describe himself as just a normal guy who loves climbing and loves mountains. But Andy with his team got nominated for the Piolet d'Or or the Golden Isaacs back in 2010. And for those of you who don't know, well, you don't end up being nominated if you're just a normal guy. So please join me and Andy for a talk about his background, how he got into alpinism, and the Link SAR project. Husky is made possible thanks to Naturkompaniet, and it is powered by Nordic Green Energy. Sweden's greenest energy company with 100% renewable energy sourced from solar, wind and hydropower. Find them at nordicgreen.se. Welcome to episode 25 of the Husky International series and a long interview with the British alpinist Andy Hausman. If you want to know more about this episode and of previous episodes, please head over to huskypodcast.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram at the handle Husky Podcast. Is it, is it um, the first time in, in Stockholm? Yeah, my first time in Sweden. First time in Sweden. Because so. I saw I saw on um, I saw 
saw on your Instagram. Ah, yes. A picture like flying into Stockholm. Yeah, yeah. You, you said something about like wishing that you had time to check out the trails and, and yeah, the scenery. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a shame to say, first time I come to Sweden and I've got literally one night in a yeah. hotel in yeah. Stockholm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a bit, I guess it's a bit like when people when come to London for work for a day, you don't actually yeah. see any of the actual country or... But yeah, yeah, that's a good thing with Stockholm actually because you, we got a it's not a big city but it is a city and and the nature is very close yeah. so actually 10 to 20 minutes from here you have like proper trails for running yeah and even climbing and, and swimming of course and kayaking and so on. so it's it's very the nature is always present in a way yeah no I think had I um I was really busy at work so I couldn't come out any earlier and I've got a, a friend's wedding at the weekend so I basically I had literally two days so if, if not I'd have liked to um come out for either a couple of days earlier a day late and spent a bit of time around but I, I, because I was actually thinking about that biking into to, to this interview is that a is that a problem for you sometimes to kind of once you go abroad it's either for stuff like this the North Face Speaker Series so it's kind of a work event or it is for more massive climbing expeditions or climbing trips so you don't have the luxury of like going back to say if you wanted to go back to Stockholm for like a weekend or two three days to go a bit of, of I don't know see the city but also go out and, and and enjoy the nature that is kind of a luxury that you can't afford when it comes to the, your time your schedule yeah I guess I mean for me just normal holidays are important as well mm. so I, I'm not a full-time climber so I've got you know full-time job as well and um, and I've got a lovely girlfriend as well, so we need to get the <laughs> need to get, the, get the proper holidays in as well. So I, th- I think I do. Not all my time isn't just extreme expeditions. You know, I do a lot of. Most of the time, I'm just doing normal stuff that that you, everybody else, just whether it's out running, out road biking, climbing. Yeah, doing a lot of just normal stuff as well, and it's. But you get, but you get the rope sling, sling over you, and you got the crampons on. So, is that <laughs> yeah, just yeah. an image? <laughs> just the, that's just that's just the the, the image they portray, you know, <laughs> the hero shots. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's but it is possible for you to just. Oh, yeah, I to do like just yeah. what you said, going on a. Go on and a, enjoy it and experience yeah. a place for what it hmm. what it is, and not not go just with a purpose of a specific goal in mind. Yeah, no, I like I like that as well. I like lazy days of not doing much and just drinking coffee and taking <laughs> taking in the sights. <laughs> um, where are you from? So I'm from Yorkshire, which is in North England. Um, just a really small village called Darley. Um, nearest town's a place called Harrogate, and it's really it's just on the edge of the Yorkshire Dales. So it's really, really, really nice countryside. Just rolling, like you were saying earlier, just rolling hills like Sweden. Very similar to yeah. the Swedish mountain range. No, um, there's no big mountains to go alpine climbing in, but we've got loads of really good rock climbing. Mm. Um, the road biking's really taken off, and yeah, just get it's really close to get out running. Yeah, cause uh, straight out for my door on uh, trails. And that's where you uh, where you live today as well. Yeah, that's where I live now. I was born there and mm. live there now. I've moved away, and I've just always come. I've spent time living away. Like I've spent quite a lot of time in Chamonix, living for the winters. But now I live back there. I've got a family business with my dad. So. But is is that um, like was the nature there a big part of? Uh, of course, nature there was a big part of, of shaping you. But that's the kind of that's what what brings you back. Yeah, like the nature. Yeah, I think I've always been a not necessarily just the nature, but just the outdoors. You know, a lot of my mates when I was growing up at school, they'd go and hang out in in the nearest town on a Saturday, whereas I'd be floating down the river on a tractor tire me and my mates have blown up and things like that you know and that sort of thing that's always 
I've always been attracted to that side of life rather than the, the city life, I think. Uh, and yeah, just like being outdoors. But did that come from your parents? Um, I think so. Mainly, like none of my parents aren't into climbing or anything like that. Um, but they're all from farming backgrounds. So and working outside, whether it's you know in the whole industry farming. So um, I think yeah, they've always instilled just not not on purpose, but just the way of country life is. It's it's about being outdoors and. Oh, picking berries and mushrooms. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they're not, you know, my, my parents aren't environmentalists or no. yeah, outdoorsy people, but they, they like being outdoors. Mm. And they, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's more just the, the situation I grew up in, the, where we lived. It was, you were outdoors. You know, there wasn't much. It's a small village. There wasn't really any places to go hang out. So if you wanted to go play with your mates, you were messing about outside yeah. which, is, which is great running around with a stick in your hand yeah yeah and I think I um, you know I used to be really jealous of my friends that would go and hang out at McDonald's on a Saturday lunchtime and I couldn't get into town to do that uh, but looking back now I'm so actually fortunate. I, I, I was really fortunate <clears throat> you don't appreciate it's like a lot of things you no. don't you maybe don't appreciate it at the time but you look back and think well actually yeah I didn't really miss out on much I had a pretty, yeah <laughs> I definitely had the better, the better deal there <laughs> um, do you know what it was was in a kind of an element of this could be that could this could sound a bit cliche, but but do you think that there was kind of a, a, a an element of adventure or a dream of adventures that kind of like attracted you in all of that? Um, I think yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, it's not like I never had a defining moment. I was like, right, I want to go climbing, explore the mountains. I think I've just always been. I don't know why, um, and you often get asked that question. Yeah, when you. When I mean, you do interviews, you can say, "What well, what drew you to it?" I, I haven't actually come up with an answer for it yet. <laughs> it's just I, ju I just love being outdoors in the mountains, and um, for me, it was a natural progression from hill walking with scouts when I was younger. Hey, you were you were a boy scout? Yeah, I was a boy scout. Um, it's great. We had an amazing scout leader. Yeah. It was really good fun. It wasn't your <clears throat> average scouts. It was just a bunch of lads having having a good laugh. And yeah, we did a bit of hill walking in the yeah. Lake District and that. Did you learn some like bushcraft skills? Yeah, and learned how to light a fire, and, yeah. you know, tie a few knots, and we used to just make mad big structures and yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah, we did quite a bit of walking and stuff with that. And I guess from that, I got into um, there's loads of climbing around me, but I say not my parents or friends climb, but kind of just somehow got into it. My maths teacher at uh, when at school had a big uh, poster of Dan Osman on the wall doing the big crucifix just soloing and, and he lent me, uh, lent me some books about climbing and took me to the local climbing wall and I guess I got into that and then really at university started climbing properly so I was quite you know, compared yeah, to some late, people I was quite late late bloomer yeah yeah <laughs> um, I think we every year it's like we as a family we'd go skiing once a year or every every other year where did you to, go then? Uh, we often went to Austria mm -hmm. um, so I think I've always be, being in the mountains one way or another and that's I think that's where they're just the, the draw for it but uh, but did you find like early on kind of a talent for climbing or was it more like the the fact that you liked it I just liked it I just enjoyed it mm. um, yeah I wasn't I just first started rock climbing and yeah, I wasn't a super talented rock climber or anything just an average go out with my mates have have good fun we got up to the Peak District I was at um, Nottingham University so we we're really close to the Peak District Derbyshire so I'd spend a lot just out there at weekends and yeah, no, I wasn't super talented or anything. Just in But you started indoors and then you went like climbing outdoors, climbing. Yeah, and so I mainly I think mainly started outdoors really, just messing okay. about with the local yeah. crags. Bit a bit of both outdoors and indoors. 
but predominantly just climbed outdoors. Um, unlike, you know, I see a lot of people now that come into it, and I think it, it's great what climbing walls have done for the sport. They've just, they've definitely attracted a lot of people to it that wouldn't necessarily have got into climbing. Especially really now, if you look the, look at the development now, it seems like it's like bouldering is like super trendy, yeah. and it's yeah. like all the major cities, and they got beautiful, amazing climbing walls. And now it's it's a it's becoming, or it may become part of the Olympics. Like the yeah, speed it's part climbing. of the it's part of the Olympics for yeah. is it twenty twenty or twenty yeah twenty twenty in yeah, Tokyo is it? Like I can't remember which year. But yeah, I mean for you know I'm not that involved in that side of climbing, but I still. For me personally, I still love rock climbing, and it's great. And my, my local climbing wall in Harrogate, it's great to see some of the... When that first started, there was a lot of people just started bouldering there that never climbed outdoors, and now they're actually really keen, really keen boulders, really, really, you know, super strong. <laughs> and, yeah, it's mate, you can see, it's interesting to see that progression of people coming through the climbing walls. And Was the, uh, the social part of your development as a climber, was that as important as anything else? Like, the fact that you were doing it with your, with your friends? Yeah, I think I think that's for me. Climbing and friendship go; they kind of go hand in hand. You know, I I only go away on expeditions with people I'm really good mates with. I'm not I'm not interested on going if Joe Bloggs is a really good climber. Let's never met. Let's just go and try this mountain. For me, you've got to go away with one of you, and that's like yeah. I've only got a few. There's only a few people I've done expeditions with, and they've all been really good mm -hmm. friends. And I think that's that's you know you've got it because you spend so much time with them. Yeah, if you don't get on with someone, you, you yeah, we, we're actually gonna we're gonna return to that actually because that's a topic that I want to talk about you, talk talk with about you. <laughs> um, but but you 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 had um, you said you got books from your math teacher and so yeah, climbing, and you I read somewhere that you um, you got <clears throat> you had these people as role models. Um, so, you had a you had you had British climbers as as, as kind of house guards or role models, uh, Joe Tasker, Peter Boardman, Alex McIntyre. Yeah, and they were kind of um, pioneers when it comes to uh, alpine style, like kind of the light and fast trend. Yeah, definitely. So I think I, I started by um, we'll say borrowing books from the school library. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I returned them. All, actually, <laughs> some of them might still be on my bookshelf. <laughs> Um, yeah, and a lot of them were like the Chris Bonington's books, and I get—I just found it really inspiring reading about their trips to the Greater Ranges. And I didn't know anything about alpine climbing at that time, so you know, I got into reading about that. And at that stage, um, with the, the tricks that, that Chris Bonington was leading, it was still very much climbing in a siege style. So there'd be a big team of maybe twelve climbers, and they'd slowly work their way up the mountain, you know, fix ropes, camps, and, and, yeah, the... and fixing the lines, fixing the camps. And, and to me, I, yeah, I didn't know anything about climbing at that time, so that's just, I thought that was just the way it, it happened. Mm. And, but it was really interesting reading about the, the stories from back in the, you know, the 60s when they're doing that. But then as I got more and more into climbing and learned more about the whole sport of alpinism, um, this is before I actually did any alpine climbing, you, you kind of realised that that was the, the times had progressed a lot since then. And, and it was the likes of Alex McIntyre, uh, you know, Pete Borman, Doug Scott, that, that started taking um, the Alpine style to the to the greater ranges. And yeah, some of the stuff that Alex McIntyre and those guys did is just yeah, it's really impressive what they how they changed the way of thinking, which is how we we all climb nowadays. Um, and yeah, just, yeah, I think there's been some really inspirational British figures. Um, 
lucky to know a few, not super well, but know a few of them like Andy Kay and stuff. And they're just super nice guys. And it's quite funny, these guys that you've read about and you, you, you're really inspired and about and you actually just standing around having a, you, call, you, know, you almost call them a friend now and it's it's nice and they're just down to earth. Yeah. And I think that's a, quite a big thing about the British scene. It's all pretty down to earth. There's no, yeah. there's not too many big egos or anything mm. there. It's just... I think it, it's a bit like that with the entire outdoor scene. Yeah, definitely. From my perspective, yeah. that it's uh, most of the people that you end up meeting, they are very, uh, like we talked about Simona Moro, Moro, for instance, yeah. before the interview. And, and once once you meet him, he's like a, a I wouldn't say normal guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but he's very, he's very, he's very humble and he's very, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's a great guy. <clears throat> um, uh, but could, could you, could you say something about, because, I'm not a climber myself, but I know that British climbing history, you you got a very rich tradition. Rich, in the yeah, there's, I think there's... Do you, there's know where that, do you know where that stems from? Where that I don't... From? I guess originally it was the, the gentleman explorers back in the original day in the, you know, in the late In the colonial days. Yeah, in the colonial <laughs> days. Yeah, we, we probably shouldn't go to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, you know, I guess if you go right back to the start, it was a lot of the more well-to-do British gentlemen that were out in the Alps and they, they'd hire the local people to take them up, take them up mountains. But I guess my, my actual knowledge of climbing history isn't that, that great. But for me, I've followed it more from like the 60s onwards yeah. uh, and I think that's a really that's a pretty impressive age for um, for British mountaineering especially out in the European Alps uh, you know in Chamonix and around that area a lot of the a lot of the classic routes were you know were climbed by Brits and stuff and, and it's I, I don't know what's I don't know why um, <clears throat> I think definitely the the type of climbing we do in the UK helps when you get out to the the big mountains we used to that we used to try climbing we used to scotland it's pretty you know pretty bad weather we used to <laughs> used to suffering in um, <laughs> you know going out if you if you if you wait till the good conditions and the good weather you're not really going to get very much done when it is sunny it's pretty beautiful yeah. um but yeah i don't I, i'm not I'm not sure what's driven it there's i think there's just amongst the working class has been that Definitely, there's been a big tradition with the with the clubs. It's like you read about all oh, the old um, rock and ice club and all those those clubs from back in the day. And yeah, I don't, I don't know what's driven that, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I'll probably not come up with the answer you want, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, these three names that I that I mentioned earlier: Tasker, Boardman, and McIntyre. I had no idea who they were. So I clicked into their Wikipedia pages, yeah. and I found out that they all died young. Yeah, they all died <laughs> very sadly, very yeah. young. And I think that's that's definitely one of the darker sides of the success of British alpinism in the Greater Ranges. There was definitely an era where there was a lot of climbers sadly getting yeah. getting killed because they were pushing, they were pushing the level, they were pushing the standard, they're pushing it a lot more than what. I think it's been pushed recently, but I think the step they took back then of taking that alpine style to the greater ranges was was a massive. It probably wasn't appreciated at the time, but it was an absolutely massive step forward. Hmm. And yeah, I think they the routes they were trying were were definitely a bit more objectively dangerous. Um, and yeah, it was. There's definitely been some. You when you're reading Chris Bonington's books, sadly, it was almost every expedition. 
you know, there was almost one climber that was that was killed on them. And um, yeah, I, I think climbing is a dangerous sport. But, I mean, for me, I think that's one of the reasons why I haven't been as successful as I could have been with the amount of trips I've been on. I've, I, I'm, I'm not willing to push it that little bit extra further that some people are. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think you, you hear that some some people kind of say that a mountain's worth dying for. To me, it's just that's that, not a cat hell's chance. No, no way. Um, you know, we're climbing mountains. It's great fun. It's a great personal achievement. We're not. You're not out there saving lives or anything. It's it is just climbing. It's mm. fun. It's great. It inspires people to do it, uh, and I get a lot of personal satisfaction from it. But I, I think I'm. I don't think my my risk acceptance levels are as big as some people, so that's probably one of the reasons I haven't been, actually, yeah, I don't know. I'd call myself successful because I'm still here and I've had fun doing what I've been doing, but yeah, maybe why I haven't got up as many things as what I've tried. Um, and yeah, it is, unfortunately, is that yeah, you are putting yourself in, in dangerous situations. You try and minimize it, but when you get out to the out in the Himalayas, on the big faces, if you're trying a new route, there's, there's always gonna be sections where you are under that serac for a couple of pitches or you are in that big snowball there's no way to avoid it we try and you know you spend ages trying to pick the safest line or try and you know the line with the least objective hazard but unfortunately there is always going to be that one little bit and you, you use your judgment and your experience to assess whether it's you know is it safeness is it justifiable risk and um yeah it's unfortunately it's the nature of the sport yeah. i guess but you just try and avoid Avoid all those objective habits as much as you can. Uh, from your position today, where you are now, um, with the knowledge you have, with the with the experience you have, uh, and also with the network and, and the, the kind of the the friends that you surround yourself with, when it comes to the alpine world, the climbing world, I'm sure that you you unfortunately you you probably know a lot of people that's not with us today because yeah. of, because they have been uh, lost in the mountains. Um, do you think if you compare yourself now to maybe when you started like dreaming about this or when you started climbing do you think your your thoughts and, and views on like death and mortality has it changed over the years in some way um, I don't know you never go out thinking you're going to die or of course you, not you, know, you never go out thinking I might not come back mm. you know if if I <clears throat> if I'm starting up a route And I think I might not come back. Then that, that's the time you turn around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's um, so I don't, you know you never I don't think of it like that. But definitely you know unfortunately I've lost quite a few a few close friends in the mountains, and it does I think it's a real it brings a realization home. You kind of you know it's a dangerous sport, but then as you slowly get more and more into it, and you you know sadly you lose. You hear of people, and you know people who've been lost in the mountains. It, I think it just just it brings it home that how dangerous it is, and and then you, you kind of think, well, is it really worth it? You know, because I say it's great fun, it's amazing, but it is just climbing at the end of the day, and it does. But you know, life's about having fun, isn't it? So you know, you can't we can't ask those people if it's worth it. I'm sure they, you know, they they hopefully think it think it is. But I think it just it just brings the reality home that it is. That is quite a dangerous sport, and and yeah, um, you just got to try and maximize the safety. And, yeah, but yeah, no, it is. I think you know when I first close friend I lost to climbing, it was a, it hit me a lot harder. You know, you, you hear of people being killed, but it's until you actually know someone personally that you suddenly oh shit, it can happen to me. 
Um, it's like I guess like in any illnesses and stuff. You know, if you yeah, I mean, you, you can't hit, get hit by a bus. Yeah, well, exactly. That's the thing. So you know, you've got to uh, live life for today. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a strong believer in that as well. Mm-hmm. And you've got to, and as long as you're out there having fun, that's that's the main thing. And um, but everybody's idea of fun's different, isn't it? So it's, yeah. Um, doing what you do, of course, you it takes a lot of, it has taken, and it takes a lot of a lot of time, and energy, and it takes a lot of time away from other things, I guess. Now, you, you, like you're not a full time climber, you got a normal job in the family business, but but do you feel that? Um, would you say that you have had to sacrifice anything along the way, in order to pursue these dreams that you have? Um. Yeah, I think, yeah, whether sacrifice is the right word, because I've wanted to pursue the dreams. Yeah, that's, so that's true. It's, it's, it's not, perhaps poor it's, choice of words. Yeah, it's a choice. Yeah, a choice it's, yeah. not, it's not like I've, um, yeah, it's not like there's been, um, I've been, you know, had to join national service and go fight for my country. I'm not, you know, it's not something I've had to do <laughs> out, you know, against my free will. I've chosen to make yeah. them. So whether <clears throat> sacrifice is the right word, I don't, I don't know. But um, yeah, definitely missed out on I don't know haven't missed out because I've had these amazing adventures oh. so <laughs> it's um yeah I've been lucky with work so I've been lucky that I can work uh, in the family business so I've been able to go leave work for you know a couple of months to go on a an expedition and come back into the job so I guess if I didn't have if I wasn't fortunate to have that I would maybe have my career would have wouldn't it be you know if I would if I was a career-driven person it wouldn't have been as successful you could say I don't know um, have I sacrificed anything else I think I've you know I don't, th- I don't think I really have because it's hard it's quite a different interesting question that actually, yeah. isn't it because I mean you know, for example I remember once I was um, I was, had a holiday booked to go over my mate's sport climbing in Spain and the conditions on the Grand Jurass came in really good and it's like if you want if you don't live in the Alps but you want to get some of the classic routes and you've got to be able to just make those decisions so yeah I phoned a mate so oh, you know the um, it was the Colton Max in really good condition sure yeah you know, I'm going to be in Spain but I'm, my mates will understand I'm sure <laughs> and yeah so that was you know instead of going to Spain I went we just flew out to the Alps when did some you know climbed an amazing route on the Grand Jurassic and mm. so they're not sacrificed but I think you've got to be prepared to make adjustments yep. to if you don't actually live in the mountains to to actually get yeah. stuff done Perhaps adjustments is a better yeah, 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 word, yeah, yeah, yeah. better choice of words yeah. than, than sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's not like I, you know, I haven't got any children, so it's I haven't missed hmm. growing up with my kids or anything like that be, by being away for a month at a time in the mountains or anything like that. And I mean, I, I'm in a fortunate position with work that I can take the extended time off to go do the trip, hmm. so I haven't had to sacrifice a career for it either or anything. Um, so yeah, um, um, the steps from climbing to alpinism alpinism how did that work for you i mean was it do you think it was always about alpinism for you yeah or did that so it was kind of a natural progress or was it kind of that you rediscovered something or that you discovered something that made you go into the alpinism no i think i think for me alpinism alpinism was always the end game i'd always and i'd read all these books like we were saying earlier and i think for me getting into climbing was was the stepping stone to get to the Alps and and eventually to the greater ranges. I never I never didn't expect it to happen, but I think it was definitely I enjoyed the I enjoyed the mountains, I enjoyed climbing and the two go, you know, alpinism was the natural progression. So I think I did a very traditional British 
introduction to it. You know, I started rock climbing, started going to Scotland in the winter, went to the Alps in the summer, went to the Alps in the winter, um, and then eventually to the to the greater ranges. So yeah, I think I think my my end game, so to speak, you know, my end goal was always to get into alpinism from starting climbing. It's that's what it was. The reading the books, I think it was Joe Tasker's book, This Game of Ghosts, about and living, you know, ten of them crammed in a flat in Chamonix, type thing, and just you know spending the winters in Chamonix. That that's I just found that really really interesting, and I, yeah, I think I always wanted to get get into alpinism. How would you describe your Chamonix? Your, Chamonix. your 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 take on Chamonix. Chamonix. Your, th- your thoughts on Chamonix. Uh, my thoughts on Chamonix. It, it's a big adventure playground. Um, it's an amazing place, and I've I think I've spent five or six winters. I've never lived there full time, but I've spent a lot of time you know, doing the typical driving the airport transfer driving, the usual <laughs> usual jobs that yeah. people do to make it work out there. Um, I had I had one winter where I just worked really hard all summer, saved up and went out and just um, climbed for a full winter, which was you know, did a few odd jobs whilst I was there. Um, but no, Chamonix's good. It's a it's a it's a strange place. It's an interesting place, and I've got a lot of my best friends live there, and I, I do I don't spend as much time there as I used to, and I really I do miss it quite a lot. Um, not Chamonix specifically, but just the people there and the and the access to the mountains for tra- it's training, you know, just for training and things like that. It's an amazing place. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think there's anywhere else like it in the world where you can have such easy access to the mountains. I went, I was there last summer for a, a quick visit. Uh, I went up with a mate. We did. We got the first telefreak up to the the plan. Did the did the Frendo spur, which is sort of a thousand meter fairly straightforward North Face route, but really good fun. And then we were back down in Chamonix by, got the lift back down, I think we are back down by 11 o'clock in the morning having brunch, which there's not many places uh, in the you world like commute, where you can, commute to the you can do a, a North Face <clears throat> in the morning and <clears throat> be back down. Yeah, okay, it's the North Face that we're gonna be, it's more on the big classic North Face, but still it's a really cool, fun <laughs> fun outing. And it's just, yeah, it's just, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty fun place. It's, um, for me, there, was, there wasn't really any work I could do in Chamonix. Um, I, I had my ties when I work back at home, which, although I kept trying to, um, I, I thought I wanted to live in Chamonix, I always kept getting drawn back home, and I tried to make it work, you know, doing my work at home in Chamonix, but that just wasn't going to happen, unfortunately. Um, so for me, it's it's a difficult, I think, unless you're a guide or you've got, you've got your own business that you can run from Chamonix, it's, you know, to actually have a a career where you can make the most of the mountains is quite, it's quite a difficult one mm-hmm. to do, so... Um, so yeah, I, you know, to me, Chamonix will always be a special place, and you know, I'm sure I'm gonna have friends there will be living there all the time. So it'll be, it will, it has been, and it still will be a big part of my life. And I'd like to get back to be able to spend a bit more time out there, which is the plan in the future. So, um, when it comes to alpinism, if you were forced to kind of put into words the like your philosophy on it or the emotions that you have about it, that like what what it is with alpinism that attracts you what it is with alpinism that that keeps you there yeah i think it's um i don't think there's one um, specific thing i think it's just there's for me it's the whole draw it's the whole package almost it's the being out in the mountains ex experiencing your nature in its rawest form and uh, you know i was looking at some of the photos i've shown last night from linksar and some of the light, the sunsets and the natural light and the natural beauty that we got to experience, and you, you, it makes you feel very humble. You managed to you 
been there to experience that. And I think combine that with with climbing and challenging yourself physically and mentally, which is a big part for me, um, and exploring the unknowns on climb peaks, and that and combining that with being with one of your best mates doing it. Yeah, it's just the whole the whole package that's involved. And it's just it's just good fun. It's just really good fun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's a strange one. I know. I know. Alpine climbing isn't everybody's cup of tea, but and it's hard trying to explain to someone who's not into it what the draw is in it because you know it's cold, it's miserable at times. But but you know when you when you get a north face in really good condition and you just romp up it really fast, it's it's just so it's just good fun. And it's you're know, combining all your skills of climbing into one one thing and kind of the mental part of it and the uh... yeah there's a, I think alpine climbing and especially when you're on a route for a few days the mental side is way more important what, than what people think mm. um, I'm certainly not the fittest climber out there but I think what I discovered when I first got into climbing I could actually I didn't mind pushing myself uh, and I think the head game in alpine climbing is just so important you know being able to your body's feeling completely depleted you're at you're feeling completely down um you just you know, excuse the french you're feeling just fucked <laughs> um and you just but being able to tell yourself that you can carry on that you there's that there's that barrier and go you know where you, your head's saying nah stop now but you, you know you've got it in you to carry carry on and it is when you're on a face for like five days it is it's a, it's a big 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 mental battle to to keep, keep keep you know keep the motivation up to keep going and stuff and it's just yeah it plays yeah it just it's mind games and I heard heard other people like saying about being on exposed uh, in exposed terrain like that is the thought of I shouldn't be able to be here but yeah. I am yeah the kind of a, kind of a surreal feeling to it and yeah. I, I guess that is something that you think yeah. of as well it's it's, it's like kind of saying back to the sunset so you know, we're we're digging into the side of a mountain at six thousand eight hundred meters. You've got the whole Karakoram just bathed in that blood red sunlight, and it's just it's like yeah, I shouldn't. Not once when I was growing up did I ever think I'd be able to be in this position to experience that. And yeah, you think how few people have actually managed. You feel very lucky because it's not every day you get to experience that sort of thing and and the exposure and like you say, it's like humans weren't designed to be up there <laughs> it's not your natural progression in you know you kids go play football and cricket or whatever but yeah you suddenly find yourself well this is pretty special and pretty yeah very lucky to to have the opportunity because you've got to remember not everybody has the opportunity to do this not not because of the the money side or the trip but just you know where you grow up and the life you know you know we live in the modern world and it, we should we should take it for granted you know we, we shouldn't take it for granted that we have the ability to go on these trips. We have the ability to travel for, um, you know, without any restrictions on those borders and stuff. And yeah, I think suddenly when you strip it back to that, you realise that there's people who are fighting for lives because of famine or whatever. And and then you know, we're there just having, you know, having this amazing time. It's suddenly like, well, actually, we're very lucky to just to be able to do it in the first place, let alone actually experience it. It's yeah. And it's I, I'm, I'm, I can imagine that it's kind of a mind-boggling thought as well that. The fact that you're probably well, especially on Linksar, that you were probably uh, like the first people in the planet's history to ever touch these rocks and to ever yeah, that's got a. But I think that's, that's got to play a role as well. Yeah, and it's the same on. I think yeah, I think that's the that was the draw to Linksar for for definitely for John and for myself. 
it's the unknowns and I think that's the whole draw of trying new routes out in the greater ranges it's nothing's guaranteed you know your chances of success is minute Fra- yeah I, I, I'm sure a statistician or a mathematician <laughs> can, uh, can work out some complicated equation to give you a percentage figure but there's just so much against you in the first place so that's the chat you know n- um, not having a guaranteed outcome is the first thing that I think draws you there it's the you know, you're taking your chances of against the weather the conditions everything and it's just the unknown you don't know what's going to be around the next corner you know link with links are especially you couldn't we couldn't see the mountain from anywhere we didn't know what the summit ridge was like unfortunately we still don't know what the summit ridge is like because we didn't get to have a, a, a go at it but um yeah it's that just just pitching yourself against the mountain and it's you know uni mate a rope start the bomb try and get to the top and just it's that knowing you've got the skill to overcome what you'll find but not knowing what you're going to find if you go here <laughs> and then yeah it's just just the unknowns about it um could you describe the lure and attraction of type two fun type two fun <laughs> what is yeah. type two fun type two fun <laughs> it's out, um, yeah it, it, i think that's the, the the term we use to try and convince ourselves we actually enjoyed what we did <laughs> like, i mean yeah, there's definitely times when you're climbing you're hating it you know you've got hot aches in your hands and feet and you're thinking why am i not just into beach holidays sitting sitting back <laughs> with my girlfriend having enjoying a nice cold beer on the beach um but yeah, type two fun is when you get down and you, you reflect on what you've done. That actually was fun. It actually was. Maybe at times, there were times of it that weren't fun, but the whole thing, the reward and the, and the but, you know, I guess some people say it's almost like a drug. I don't, I don't think it's like in a drug where the, it's the addiction, but just the adrenaline and the buzz you get from it, to, you know, whether you've done... And I think I'm maybe mellowing a bit because now I get that I get that same buzz if I just go out and do a really classic easy route and enjoy it, and it's fun at the time. I get almost as much of a buzz from that now as I do from um, trying a really hard mm. route and maybe having a bit of a <laughs> not as fun time on it. Mm. But yeah, the type two fun is I think I think it's what we we convince ourselves to make us go back again. <laughs> but no, it is. You know, it, there are times you're not going to enjoy every minute of it times where it's pretty miserable and you kind of and you get scared i get scared yeah. and i think it's getting scared is what keeps you alive as well it's that you know it's not having that blase confidence to just go it's it's kind of your spider that reality senses. check it's that, that little yeah, little thing on the yeah. voice in the back of your head that tells you now just 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 think about this but where are your limits when it comes to the being being uncomfortable and being i don't know cold and, and scared um, like, can you handle cold? Like cold, for instance, is is that a is that a big um, is that a big obstacle for you? Well, obviously God, I not. think I think it's not. Yeah, obviously the cold is a limiting factor, but you you dress dress accordingly. Uh, but I think I think that stems back to that that mental game that we were talking about earlier. It's yeah, you get cold, you get scared, but it's being able to push yourself. A bit beyond that, especially with the actual conditions. But I think with this, with the being scared bit, that's that's there for a reason, and it's up to you how far you push that. Other you know, people like to push themselves a bit further than others for being scared. But but when you say to coming over overcoming the cold, yeah, there's that's a, a fi- there is a physical limit on the cold. It's yeah, there are. It's not you can't just keep pushing it. Otherwise, you are going to get hypothermia. Or, Yeah, you're gonna lose your fingers. You're gonna lose your toes. So I think things like cold, there is a physical limit of what you're 
capable of and that's down that but that's also down to equipment and how you prepare the, you know, the equipment you've prepared for the trip and it's it's taking the right equipment to the right climb if that makes sense you know taking the right boots not taking your summer boots on a <laughs> on a winter alpine climb and things like that so so yeah but i think you can put a physical limit on that side of things but the being scared that's i think that's more of a mental limit and how far you're willing to push it in each person's perception of that is is their own and i think it's important when you've got a climbing partnership that you don't try and push your partner past what their acceptance level of being scared is because otherwise they're definitely not going to have fun and you're probably not going to be talking when you get down. (laughs) (laughs) Um. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. These experiences of, of pushing yourself and, and, and willingly exposing yourself to being uncomfortable, do you think that this works as a tool to kind of, um, does that affect your view on the comforts of modern society? That's a um, big, big, big mouthful. Yeah, no, I see, I see where you're going with it. Um, I think I enjoy both. I like modern comforts as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. But, but, um, but maybe do you think you do you think you enjoy it even more now that you you know what it's like to stay away a month on? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, when you come back, it's strange. When you go away for a trip and you're away for maybe two months, um, one of the the thing often you know, this will be to Nepal or Pakistan, and I know it sounds really stupid. What? But one of the best things of coming back is turning the tap on. And having a glass of cold water yeah. straight out the tap, which is something we just take for granted, for granted yeah. day in day out. But that was exactly uh, exactly where I was yeah, going. Yeah, but you suddenly you know, out there you've got to drink bottled water. You've got to boil it. You can't drink the water out the taps. Uh, and you're having a shower, for example. You've got to make sure you're in the shower. And you don't, you know, once you get back to Kathmandu, don't breathe it. You know, don't drink it. Don't swallow any of the water in the shower. And it's just the, I think it's the simple things like that 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 you suddenly appreciate massively. But I think it. Because of that use them, 
you maybe appreciate for a week when you get back from a trip <laughs> and then you're just back to taking it yeah. for granted right. but yeah no it definitely does make you and I think that's one of the things I look forward to most coming back is just turning the tap mm. on and having a mm. it's like you don't have to drink a boil water uh, you know to sterilise it and then let it cool to get a cold drink <laughs> you just um, but yeah no it does, it does make you appreciate it. but I think unfortunately as a society in the west we're so used to those modern comforts we you soon just slip back into yeah just accepting them as normal again right. and you forget but it is the whole traveling to to the likes of nepal and pakistan it does it is it is adds for pers- adds perspective I guess. yeah it adds perspective to life in general i think um you know i just had an average middle class upbringing in yorkshire parents worked really hard um and you know we we didn't we yeah we didn't have a I didn't have a super privileged life but I you know, if we needed stuff there was the ability to have what was needed um, there was never excess but it was just you know we didn't we never went hungry for food or anything like that we just had an average mm. you know middle class upbringing and and I think it's very humbling then to go out and it just make you realise that actually you know it's wow there's a big big disparity in the world yeah from a global perspective yeah, yeah. you cannot complain about yeah, anything anything no I can't yeah we try to and we do but. At the end of the day, we can't. Oh. And it was really interesting, the last trip to Pakistan, uh, we had this really nice cook, a uh, guy called Sakat, uh, and he was also often the, the cooks that we have at base camp, they don't speak that much English, so you can kind of communicate a little bit, you know, you can have a very basic one, but you can't, because they're, they're from the, the, the local villages, they haven't, been, they haven't learned you know, English, and we, I can't speak their local language, unfortunately. But Sakawa had um, he'd worked in a lot of restaurants. He was from the local area, from a proper traditional, very you know, very, you know, just a traditional Pakistani village upbringing. But he'd worked in a lot of restaurants in the big cities, and he spoke really good English. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting to be actually sit down and have conversations and learn about his up his upbringing and what it was like to grow up in a, s- a small village. And he was telling us that you know, they, he maybe I think he, I can't remember exactly maybe ten brothers and sisters he had, but. And just, just as if it's normal, he said, yeah, four, four of my brothers died whilst uh, they were road builders and four, four have died in the process. And he just, he just said it like I'd say to you, yeah, I, I tripped over and sprayed my ankle on that run the other day. And it suddenly you realise that, wow, life, yeah, it's a very different reality out there. And it was really interesting to actually be able to speak to him and learn a lot about, about it from, you know, a lot of the people out there who can speak English like liaison officers have had not have had a very privileged lifestyle for that area um, so it was really 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 interesting to get to know what it was really like to grow up in a small small village out there but do you have a in that moment or in a, a situation like that and now please don't get me wrong but do you, do you ever feel like like a, a big asshole like because yeah. you come from this privileged background yeah, yeah. and you just Go there just for fun. Yeah, but then again, of course, I mean, I don't mean it like that because, of course, you bring you bring money and yeah. and, and 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 work opportunity, job opportunity for them and so on. And it's not like, you, but that, what you said earlier, it's not like you're going on a, a medical expedition yeah. or something. But do you ever get that those feelings, and how do you how do you handle it? How do you cope with it? Um, you do, you do, you get the feelings. I, I think we've actively made that choice to go knowing that so you can't yeah you feel bad about it but I guess you justify it that we are bringing work to the yeah. local area and helping them uh, and definitely in Pakistan they need a lot more of people tourism to mm-hmm. help 
that help, help the local economy for the for the you know they're all um, subsistence farmers a lot of them and their only cash is from portering or cooking for expeditions but yeah no you, you've hit the nail on the head you know you <coughs> we're going on this mountain having this really hard time suffering and you know these guys are just well you're on your holiday <laughs> well, yeah. don't complain too much <laughs> You know, we sat around in base camp complaining the weather's not good, and it's like they just lost half, lost half, half the family. Yeah, yeah, and it's just you suddenly it does make yeah, it puts like we were saying it just puts it in perspective, doesn't yeah. it? And I think as long as you're not too blasé about it, it's good. Mm. But they they're psyched to see you. They you know, they know you're bringing money into the area, and they're, and they're genuinely really nice people. Usually in the mountains, when you get to meet the people in the mountains, whether it's Nepal, Pakistan, yeah, in Peru, wherever they they are. Yeah, I'm sure there's a bit of they're putting the show on because they want to be nice to keep you coming back. But when they are, I've always been made to feel so welcome in these places, mm. and it's I don't think hopefully they don't begrudge us being there. I don't, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see, but mm. maybe they just I, I think they look at they don't just look at us as a way to earn a living. I think they they're excited that people are coming to see their country as well. Mm. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, no, but I know what you mean. It's just so yeah, yeah. These people are struggling yeah. for life working every hour of the day to survive not not to save up to go on a holiday just yeah they're they're just trying to survive mm. and um but to be honest they're pretty happy mm. and that's that's the other reality check you know the kids the kids are just running around in the muck messing about with each other having a laugh couldn't they're be not, happier and they couldn't be happier they're not sat on an ipad collecting staring at Pokemons. the tv or collecting pokemons <laughs> there and Okay, they they're going out with a lot of things, but you kind of if you strip it back to the raw basics, who's the happiest? Mm. And I know I know they've got, there's a lot of situations that make their that would make they they do have a lot of very difficult situations. Mm. But when you actually just look at the kids out there, they don't know any different, and they are just uh, yeah very different to seeing kids playing over here. They're just mm. having a laugh with the mates, mm. and yeah, no, it's um, it's interesting. Um, going back to uh, what you started uh, talking about camaraderie and in and friends friendship in, in when it comes to alpinism, um, but you always go climbing with people that are because I can imagine either you go climbing with only with people that are really good that you know that you love spending time with down from the mountain yeah like off the mountain, but I can also imagine that sometimes the even though you have the good friends in the city uh, or on the flats. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily make work. it... It's not work. No, exactly. That doesn't necessarily yeah. make it a, a good match in the, yeah. in the mountains. And what are your thoughts on that? And well, I think you get... You know, you've got... Yeah, I've got, I've got friends that do a whole array of sports. I've got friends that don't climb that I like spending as much time with as I do friends that climb. And I think as you progress through climbing, you get to meet... Not progress, but as you get more involved in climbing... You, you meet people and you meet people at a similar level to you. You, you get your friends that you get on with and then you, you you talk about going away. So you're naturally going away with your with your friends, I guess. Um, so that most of my expeditions have been with two people, Nick Bullock and John Griffith, both, you know, you know love them both to bits. Um, I had some great times with both. And, yeah, we, we're lucky we can climb at similar levels. Um, Great climber Nick's is really, really good climber. So if it's a hard pitch, you just send Nick up it. <laughs> um, and the same with John. John's just so fit in the mountains. It's it's a perfect partnership. And um, and yeah, I guess it's probably through the climbing that they've become such good friends. You know, I wouldn't have met them if it wasn't for climbing. So yeah, it's not like I'm just going away with my best mate for who I grew up with because yeah, we wouldn't step foot on the mountain. <laughs> but but um, 
but I guess it's just you've, you've just learned that you appreciate time with them and you can spend time with them and yeah there's... but it is important for you that you that you know them for yeah. a long time like before yeah. strapping in yeah because the way I understood it is that is not always the case no in many expeditions you kind of get teamed up um, with, with or not get teamed up but you team up with people that you know of perhaps you've met them yeah and but but it is very kind of like a, a business project sort of yeah I don't know for me no I, I never class it as a business project for you know no I mean. but yeah and um, for me it's you, you've got to go away with someone you want to go away with I wouldn't I think I think it depends what, on what sort of expedition you look at if you're going on about say if you had a team a group of climbers from the same sponsor and they went away on a, a rock climbing trip that's that would be really good fun yeah. but I think going away on a big <clears throat> alpine trip where you're portal edge yeah style. where you're where where just where you've got to have complete you've got to have complete trust you're not just doing a multi-pitch couple of pitches of rock climbing you've got to have complete trust in your partner and i think that's that's another reason for only going away with people you know you know how they think you know how they operate in the mountains you know you've got similar level levels of risk acceptance you know you're not going to have someone who's just a complete wild card who's going to risk want to push it push it push it um so yeah, for me, you've got to go away from something you've climbed with before or that you know personally, and and you spend a lot of downtime in base camp, you yeah. know. And yeah, you, I worked out one one um, one year. I think I spent a quarter of the year away living in a base camp with Nick. So you've got to. <laughs> <laughs> we did two trips one year, and um, yeah, we spent a lot of that time sharing a tent. <laughs> yeah, we're not not same tent in base camp, but just in close proximity. And it's it's like when you get to know someone really well silences aren't awkward if that makes sense you don't have to make polite conversation if one of you doesn't feel like chatting that day it doesn't feel awkward that you're not talking or you're reading your own books if that does that make sense so uh how about the weather yeah how's the weather out yeah the weather's really good today isn't it yeah (laughs) and i think that's important because you spend a lot you can't you want your own time as well and but do you do you ever like do you ever turn down offers of expeditions or being turned down I'm not. I'm not good enough to be offered to go. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 I think maybe. Um, yeah, definitely. I'm not, not a world-leading alpinist that's going to get offers to go on expeditions. I climb for myself, and I, I just climb my mates. Uh, and yeah, we try cool stuff, and, and that's what it's about. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't ever offer to go away. I wouldn't approach someone who I didn't know to go away on a trip in the first place. And I don't. I don't think I'd get approached by people I. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm just for me. It's about going away with the guys you do know, and it's. You know, I, I did a lot of climbing with um, Nick over the last ten years. We we spent a lot of time in Chamonix together, and you get, and it, you get into that sort of partnership where you don't have to question each other. And I think that's really important. You know that you know someone's if you're moving together on quite technical ground. You know if it gets too bad, he's going to stop and put a belay in rather than risking it or if there's a decision to make on which way to go I'll trust his judgment and you know, I won't question it and he knows I won't question it and vice versa if I'm leading and trying to decide which whether to take that that goulot that that couloir or that rib I'll make the decision and you, we won't question each other's judgment say oh you've gone the wrong way and that's that's really important I think just not almost second guessing but just being being happy with the other person's decision without having to second second thing, yeah, mm. second guess it or rethink it and that's, that's, I think that's a special partnership for sure. 
You're a part of the the North Face team now. Uh, what does that mean, like f- f- for your for your career? For my career. That? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I don't. Yeah, I don't look at climbing as being my career as such. I've got my career that yeah, yeah I climb a. Or your passion. My passion, yeah, it's definitely my passion. And I'm very fortunate to work with the North Face to help fulfill some of those dreams and those trips. Um, They're great. Yeah, the the guys we work with in the UK and the European team, they're they're very supportive and understanding. And and for me personally, they they also understand that I'm not a full-time climber and that I do have a life outside of climbing, so I can't commit as much to them Mm. as some of the other athletes. But at the same time, I'm not asking for as much back, I guess. Uh, but it's it's given, you know, obviously financially wise for trips, it's helped. They've helped support a number of my trips. You get the kit. Um, and also you get to meet some really cool people as well. Um, I've never actually been away climbing with any of the, the guys I know from the North Face team just because, yeah, I've got my climbing partners I climb with already. And, um, and, and I guess that's that maybe brings back to what we were talking about earlier, although I'm part of the North Face team. Um, and full of some of the, the world's best climbers. I, I don't know the guys that well, so, but I so I just I climb with my yeah mates that I enjoy climbing. But it's it's good. It's yeah. We were at the the mountain festival the other week and hanging out with the of the European athletes. They're, they're such a good chilled bunch of people. That they're really good fun to hang out with. Um, and yeah, it's definitely given me some opportunities for trips. I've done more trips than I would have done without the support. That's for sure. But at the same time, we're, we're very lucky in the UK that we've got there's a good grant system. To, to help climbers go away on expeditions. We've got the Mount, the Mount Everest Foundation, mm-hmm. the, the Nick Escort um, grant, the, the BMC supply grant. So I think in the UK, we're, as someone trying to get into alpine climbing, we're very fortunate that for young people that you can apply for these grants and funding to help go away on your first trips. And you know, most of my trips have been heavily supported by these, these like charitable mm-hmm. grants. Um, and not every country has that. So no. I think in the UK, it's sadly, a lot of the grants are in place in memory of climbers that have been yeah. killed in the mountains but um, no it definitely gives you a lot of opportunities and yeah working with the North Face has just made it a lot easier to I can come up with a trip an idea and it's made it a lot easier to um, to fulfil that but by no means has it put pressure on me to do trips which is good um, I think this, you can't you can't have a commercial pressure to go do these sort of expeditions if that makes sense uh, and they realise that when they support a trip, they know it's not a guaranteed success. A lot of a lot of questions you get asked is, hey, "Do you feel pressure from your sponsors?" <laughs> and the straight answer is, "No, I've never had a sponsor that's put pressure on me to do something I don't want to do." You get a call from from Conrad Anchor, and yeah. I, hey, I got this. I got this summit scoped out for yeah, you. Yeah. You need to finish this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, it's yeah, it's um, yeah. I think that's that's full respect to the companies I work with. There's never any pressure to push yourself. Um, speaking about pushing yourself, uh, you you got a you got a lot of attention for the Link SAR project. Um, how would you describe how would you describe Link SAR? The mountain, the the climate, the nature, the surroundings. What what is that? It's it's um, in the Karakoram. Yeah, it's in the Karakoram, in northern Pakistan. Pakistan. Yeah, um, bordering China the, and yeah, Afghanistan. Yeah, close to close to India. Yeah, so um, it's in the a valley called the Charakusa. Uh, and yeah, links. I don't know what I think. The, the attention it gets helps from John's photos, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> like John is an amazing photographer as well as being a, an amazing alpinist. Um, so yeah, 
there's always going to be amazing photos when we come back from a trip with John. So that definitely helps with attention. But Link Linksar is um, it's a really cool mountain in the Characusa. And the Characusa is probably one of the more climbed out valleys in, in the Karakoram. Uh, there's been a lot, you know, it's K7, K6 that have seen a lot of attempts and a lot. You know, there's been a lot of lower climbs done, very technical climbing done in that area. But for some reason, Linksar still was remained un, unclimbed. Uh, it's kind of, it's a weird mountain. It's hidden away right in the back corner. So you can't actually see it from anywhere. Um, you can't, from often when you're in a base camp, you, you camp below your mountain and you can actually see and scope the route for a, and that, yeah, it's a really important part is scoping the route to mm. figure out where the natural ice falls are, you know, where, where if there's an avalanche, where the run out is. And, but Link's Island was very different. You can't, we couldn't actually see the face we we're going to climb until we were right under it. And that involved uh, a clom- uh, an approach up a really gnarly glacier. So you didn't want to just go up there to, you, you, it was too <laughs> dangerous to, yeah, it was too dangerous to go up there and hang out for fun. <clears throat> um, so yeah, it was a really interesting, it's a very complex mountain. Um, and there was we, we our idea was to try and climb the northwest face to the west summit, and then there was about a kilometre long ridge at just under seven thousand metres um, to then get to the main summit, which was only was only sort of like hundred metres higher than the west summit, but was a kilometre away, and it looked like it was going to have some really quite technical climbing on it, and I think that was the it's kind of like a stepping stone for me and John. It was seeing if we were capable of that technical climbing at at that altitude, um, so it was really. We, yeah, we had an amazing time on Linksar. Um, it's yeah, we didn't achieve what we set out to achieve, which was the to get to the main summit. Uh, we only got to the west summit, uh, but still, we, it, we we classed it as a really successful trip because it, both physically, mentally, just the journey, everything involved in it. John and got you really, came back. We came back. Yeah, we came back. Okay. Uh, and I was trying to in the um, last night when we were chatting about Linksar at the at the shop. It was I was trying to you know saying you know, was it a success. And because John and I got down, we'd had a great, and we thought, well, we didn't make the main summit, but yeah, it was still a success. Hey, we, we came back, mm-hmm. had an amazing sight experience of seven days in the mountains with my mate. Um, it, what what the mountain threw at us, and we, you know, John got really ill with a fever at like nearly just under 7,000 meters, which was just, yeah, which was really, really, that was quite um, just, I've never had a, such a feeling of helplessness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think. For me, the thing about climbing is as long as you're honest about what you've done and how you've done it, and if you're going out there having fun in the mountains, it's, it's a success. And I think that's the key is we, you know, it's just that you've got to be honest about what you've done. Yeah, we, we, we did actually want to climb the main summit. We didn't achieve that, but we got to the west summit and had a good time um, rather, than, rather than just suddenly, oh, we only got to the west summit. We better, better say that was our original goal. <laughs> it was, you know, it wasn't our original goal, but it was good. It was good fun. And this was the not the first time that you were on the mountain. No, no, this was my second time. Mm. Uh, it was John's fourth time. <laughs> mm. So John had tried it. Uh, yeah, I tried it once before with me. He tried it with Will Sim back in 2012. Tried it with myself in 2013. I got I got really ill on that trip. Unfortunately, I think I'd already I'd already set off with a a bit not as well as I thought it was. I'd, um, it turns out I'd got a post-viral fatigue from a virus earlier in the year <laughs> and I didn't really notice it until I was really pushing myself physically. Um, and that, that smacked me for about a, a year and a bit. I didn't really, just really blew my confidence actually because you weren't, you know, these, you're not used to sight, your body letting you down. I mean, as I, I used the term athlete in inverted <laughs> commas. As an, as an athlete, you, you're used to your body working. Um, so to suddenly have it 
you're you know being shut down by your, your body is quite it really it really blew my confidence actually for a while so I took a bit of a while to get over and get fitness back but then John went back in 2014 with Kevin Mahoney and tried it again um, but got caught got some really bad weather and then we went back in 2015 and, um, and yeah got to got to the West Summit but but about about that about going back to a kind of an unfinished project couldn't that be isn't that isn't always um, I mean it's good of course in the in the sense that you know what's you know what to expect uh, you know what to expect but isn't it a, a problematic side of it as well that you that you uh, that you might put yourself in the risk of yeah oh we've put so much effort in we've put, put so much time in and we've done all of this so we can't turn back now and we need to finish this now and yeah definitely and I'd say we maybe fell foul of that a bit on Linksar um, because that's that, that's kind of a, a one of the definitions of a summit fever right? yeah definitely yeah yeah and we probably <clears throat> when John John got ill at, when we hit the ridge line at about 6,800 meters so um, it was obvious we weren't going to get to the main summit then to me it was like the first night John got ill it was like right we, how the hell am I going to get John off the mountain mm. I just assumed he was going to be deteriorate through the night uh, in the morning he was a bit better we, might, we spent a full day there and he got a bit stronger and a bit stronger and the sensible decision would definitely to have been to go straight down the next day but the west summit was just we knew it was so close and and definitely reachable we'd done all the hard climbing it was just yeah, quite an involved ridge but it was it was definitely reachable so we decided to carry on and get even higher which with john in the state he was probably wasn't the wisest decision so maybe that was summit fever a little bit um but at the same time, I think we we both knew we were pushing the boundaries at an acceptable level for us. We weren't going up ground we couldn't reverse. Um, yeah, the sensible thing, given everything, would to be go straight down whilst John was still fit and well enough to get down. Because mm. who knows what would happen, happen if we went higher up. And luckily we went higher up. His fever did return that evening, but he was, he was good enough. Yeah, he was fine to get down. And um, you knew that you still had the weather window out? And we knew still had the weather yeah. window, and we knew that was our last weather window. So yeah, that was a little bit of summit fever, but at the same time we didn't carry on over the ridge to the main summit, because we knew that was just <laughs> as much as we'd like to, being able to stare at it and think, oh, it's, <laughs> it was still miles away, yeah, a kilometre away, but so close, it felt so close. Um, so yeah, we knew that was an option, so summit fever didn't take off take off there. But going back to the whole links are thing, and then, you say it received quite a lot of attention because I think predominantly because a lot of John's photos are absolutely amazing of it. The, it Links had seen no attention for a lot of years and then last this year there were four teams trying it. Wow. <laughs> and I think that 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 shows what the internet does nowadays once mm. how easy information is to get out there and it, you know, people see stuff that everybody mm. else is trying and get, get ideas. But yeah, apparently there were four teams to try links are this year but they have none have summited so far? they got really bad weather um british british guy uh tom tom ballard he got really they got to about 6800 meters i think i think it was six eight they got two on but got caught in got caught in weather again it's done that's the thing with pakistan it's the it's mm. trying to get the weather so what month did you do this was it springtime we're, um, we're in july I think july, july okay, yeah okay. it was july mm -hmm. yeah we walked out on my birthday, so yeah, it was July. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but, but these four teams, they're, they're kind of following your, following your lead? No, or? two were trying it from a different side. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure where the other guys would, what line the other guys would try. But, um, Do you think you will return? Um, I don't think so to Linksar. There's two... You know, Link, Linksar is one, one trip in a mm-hmm. lot of amazing trips I've had. I know we're chatting about it now because it's the most recent. Um, but to me, there's too many places to go and visit. Yeah. You know, I'm not. I know I'm not going to do expedition climbing for the rest of my life. There's, I know the motivation for it will. I'm not one of these people that's going to want to carry on doing these trips till I'm 65. Yeah, I'd, I hope I'm still doing trips when I'm 65, but it'll be not every year, year in, year out. So to me, there's so many places to visit that going. I went back to Linksar twice. There's other mountains I've been back to twice, but I think after two times, I, I want to go try somewhere new because that's what it's, it's all about. It's about visiting different areas as well. Mm. Um, yeah. The reaching the summit is the main reason we're there, but it's also nice to experience the, the cultures and you know see the other different areas. So yeah, I'd like to go back to India. I think mm. like I'm planning maybe potentially maybe try and get to India this next year. We'll see. Um, you were nominated for Piolet d'Or. Yeah. In 2010. Yeah. How does that work? I mean, do you get nominated as a person or as a expedition? It's or an expedition as... route. Okay, so okay. myself uh, and Nick got nominated for that for a climb we did on Chang Himal, mm-hmm. which was really. How did that feel? Like being it was, nominated it first, was weird. the project and, and also the yeah, being like the, pro- the climbing was. Yeah, you don't set out to get nominated by, <laughs> but I think for me, I didn't, yeah, I never dreamed I'd get nominated for. And climbing, we don't climb for awards. We climb it for our own personal <laughs> satisfaction. But I think it was just a lot of people. On, there were some really influential people who I respected on the jury that year. Um, so to just to have what we've done acknowledged by them almost was quite special. The award side, yeah, to me it wasn't it wasn't important, but. It is, it is a nice feeling to have something you've done recognised by mm. your peers. It just, yeah, it is, yeah, it is a nice feeling. There's no two ways about it. Um, but yeah, the Shanghai Mile was brilliant. That was my second trip to the Greater Range, second, second proper trip to the Great to Nepal. Um, I'd been the previous year of Nick, and we'd had our base camp completely robbed, so <laughs> didn't, we didn't do any climbing. In my really? Trip. Yeah, yeah, we'd. Um, it was in 2008, I think. I went to Nick and I went to try a mountain called Peak 41. And we we're doing it really on the cheap, so we didn't have a base camp. We had we had the permits, and we paid for the permits for Pete and done everything correct that way. But mm. we we're trying to do it super cheap, so we didn't take a cook with us or anything. We just set had so some it was quarters, unmanned. yeah, unmanned base camp, and we just set it up in this really small little valley away from the main valley. And I think I don't, I'm not sure if the locals maybe thought we were trying to do it illegally uh-huh. because we didn't, or they were a bit begrudged because we hadn't employed any local cooks and stuff yeah. but we had permits and everything mm. um, but yeah we'd been up we'd acclimatised on a, a little trekking peak nearby gone back to the base camp and then we'd gone down the valley just to rest at a low altitude at one of the tea houses for a couple of days before going back up to then try peak 41 uh, and we got back up and they'd just taken everything <laughs> <laughs> so we'd left we'd gone down with a little rucksack with you know, taking a sleeping bag and a down jacket and the books down to this tea house to rest for a couple of days and went so we'd left everything in the in the tents two tents and we got back up and they'd just taken the tents down <laughs> and taken every single bit of kit we had it was just like wow I guess that's trip over then <laughs> which was really it was really sad actually because it was my first time in Nepal and I'd heard amazing things about Nepal and the Nepalese mm. and it was just like 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, so this is what I... <laughs> but, you know, it's like everywhere. There's mm. a few bad apples. Of course. Everywhere. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I don't, I don't know why they did it. Um, I think it was a bit they maybe thought we were doing it legally. They yeah. thought we maybe they begrudged us because we weren't employing the local yeah. locals. But, you know, so, yeah, we walked in with, I think, four or six porters and then walked out with just a little rucksack each a few days later. <laughs> but then she took took everything, took the tents down, took all our mountain bags, all the food. They left all our rubbish. <laughs> but luckily we had some friends climbing in the area, so we asked we asked them to send their, they sent two of their porters over to okay. grab all our rubbish and carry that mm. out for us because we didn't have any way of getting, getting rid of it. Um, Shoving it in your hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, we can't, <laughs> um, so we walked out very frustrated from that. Light um, and fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was light, light and fast walk. Um, some very, um, I'm, I'm, let's just say I'm glad we didn't see anybody carrying our bags because no. I think I'd have been holding Nick back by the yeah. scruff of his neck. But yeah, so the year after, um, we went back to Nepal and had a much, much better trip. Mm. A beautiful mountain called Changi Mal, which was just, that was my first new route, prop, my first proper new route. And to, it was just this plumb line straight up this north face. And it was just, it was just a dream. It was amazing. It all, it went, it's one of those trips that just went really well. We got there, we had a really good time at base camp. Uh, some friends walked in with us that were doing some trekking in the area. Uh, and yeah, just started at the bottom, climbed to the top. Amazing <laughs> took, took a selfie. Took a selfie, yeah, took a Bligashi <laughs> Summit selfie. And it was just one of those trips that just went well, mm. um, which are memorable, the, the most memorable for the achievement, but sometimes they're not the most memorable because you haven't had that epic on it or something. You know, yeah, there were a few moments on it for sure, you know. But it was just, just brilliant. Um, and it maybe gave me a bit of a false idea of what climbing in the Himalayas was like. I was like, oh, this is great. You just rock up and you, you climb a new route. Um, but yeah, that was, a, that was an amazing experience, Changi Mountain. And the line was to just climb. Uh, yeah, it's the perfect line on a mountain. It's mm. a beautiful, pointy mountain. And we climbed straight up the centre of the North Face. Some really good climbing on it. And we had really good weather. And yeah, got down. The weather broke just as we got down. And yeah, got a really cool photo of me and Nick just sat at the bottom of the face when we've just spent full day descending. Just the grins just say all. <laughs> yeah, so that was a really... And, and yeah, we were fortunate to get mm. nominated for the Pile d'Or for it, but, you know, that wasn't the, the memories for that trip aren't the Pile d'Or. It's the, the climbing and the, the time. But, uh, but uh, about that, I mean, your thoughts of, of on yourself as a, as a profile within the alpinism world, um, private, like a role model or profile or kind of a... I don't know, celebrity, but... but, no, but <laughs> Definitely not a celebrity. No, but, but you know what I mean? I mean, you are... People recognise you now. Yeah, some people... I think... I think very few people... I think you've got to remember that alpinism I, I, is such a small of niche course. sport. I mean, I, and I, but don't, I don't mean... I don't mean, like, being recognised in the street, but yeah. I know... Yeah, I can go out for a meal without the yeah, paparazzi yeah. coming but I mean, But I mean, within the alpine community, yeah. I mean, after all, you... you been nominated and so on yeah but I think you have to the alpine community is really small people know each other people know people that are active anyway and I think the great thing about alpinism is there's so many people out there doing stuff that you don't know about there's so many dark horses of alpinism that are just yeah I've I guess I've kind of embraced the commercial side of it a little bit mm. to it's you've kind of I've, I haven't chosen to go into it but I've mm. got into it through working oh, with companies mm. and it's been great it's been 
yeah, don't get me wrong, I've enjoyed it. The great, it's great working with companies, helping work on kit and trying out new kit and stuff. But you've got to remember at the same time, there's as many people like me that are working with companies, and there's as many people, again, that no one knows about that are climbing just as hard. And I've almost got more respect for they're just out there doing it. Yeah. And I'd be, I'd be out there doing it, if, even if I wasn't a sponsored climber, I'd still be out there doing exactly what I'm doing now, if, you make, if that makes sense. It's, I'm in the fortunate position where it's easier to get some of the trips done now because I can get support from the North Face. But even if I'd still be doing the same thing if I wasn't sponsored, and I think that's the great thing about alpinism, you've got the mix of the two people. It's not, we're not doing it, no one's doing it for the money or for the, for the, you know, for the fame or glory, we're doing it because we just enjoy the, bringing it down to basics and climbing, we enjoy climbing for climbing. And, yeah. But it, is there like a, 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 like a clash between the two kind of sides? I don't know, I don't think so, no. I don't think so. Mm. Um, I just, I just think, yeah, there's a lot of people out there I respect that you know, names you can mention that you don't really, no one knows of, but they're just out there doing some pretty impressive yeah, sure. impressive stuff. And I don't think there's definitely not a clash at all, I don't think. it's um, If there's a clash, people are into it for the wrong reason, aren't they? Mm. <laughs> oh, sure. but, um, when it comes to your climbing and your skills, do you have, like, do you see a, a potential to... Uh, to to grow as a climber, like do you, like where do you want to improve? Do you do you have like you set up like goals for yourself? Yeah, I guess. Um, like I got into climbing, rock climbing, um, and I kind of. I guess if we go back to the sac- how we were talking about sacrifices for these trips, I guess the one thing that I have sacrificed has been my rock climbing, because I say because I'm not climbing all the time, so I go. The, the expeditions away are my holiday, mm. so I don't get to do as much actual rock climbing as I'd like to. So I think going forward, I'll, I see myself doing a lot more, a lot more rock climbing. I really like to improve my rock climbing because it's kind of plateaued for the last ten years. <laughs> you know, I look at, um, you know, you look at the the grades I've climbed and I've, I haven't really improved <laughs> much on the rock in the last. But you know, my alpine experience has gone up mm. twofold. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think I'd like to, I'd like to, yeah, definitely, definitely get a lot more rock climbing done. I think one of my my regrets from my climbing is training, proper training's kind of come through in the last few years for alpinism. Yeah, we when I've been climbing, it's been it's been my climbing that's kept me fit. Being out in Chamonix, you're out doing stuff during the day. That's I've never specifically trained, if that makes sense. Training to me has been climbing. It's been going out on the road bike. It's going out running in the evening. But I think one of my bigger biggest regrets is that I haven't. And I, I don't have the time to do it now, but it would have been just interesting to see we, if with a proper training structure, how fit it could actually have got. If, I don't know if that makes sense where I'm trying to I'm trying to get to. I've, I think I've missed that opportunity for sure because I don't, with work, I don't have time to train full time now. But I think it would have been really interesting to see if I'd taken a, not a more professional approach, but if you'd actually really knuckled down and trained really, really hard and scientifically and properly, how fit you could have got but maybe that would have taken the fun away from it as well yeah. you know mm-hmm. it's to me climbing's climbing and training is just going out riding my bike and running and you know never really taking a sign you know proper approach to it and maybe that's why i've done it because i enjoy it still you know if you start doing it it may get a bit boring i might not have embraced it as much so yeah. i don't know would it but i think it would have been i don't think i wasted some time in when i was had the free the free time i did in chamonix i didn't waste it but i look back now and i'm thinking oh i could have maybe got 
more out of it than I did. But I had fun as well. Yeah, you get it's out important. to the bar with your mate. And in the, in the <laughs> yeah, end, that's what that's what that's what mate. Yeah. So it's yeah. Do you have any um, like future goals and, and dreams that you that you want to and that you can share, like upcoming? Yeah, expeditions I've got, I've got or... nothing nothing definite planned at the moment. Um, I'd quite like to go to India next year. I've never been to India and I've always been attracted by that. I think I see my my trips in the future being maybe shorter trips to lower altitude peaks because I think we've we've tried when we've gone to site Linksar, we went to um, Chamlang last year, which is a seven thousand three hundred meter peak in Nepal. I think you you've got you've got to give yourself the time mm. to get acclimatized to get the weather. You can't you I've learned you can't rush it and I know I won't have as much free time to to commit to them as that. So I, I can see my maybe still doing a big trip like that once every two years or something, but in between doing a smaller, shorter trip to a, a lower, more technical peak, you know, a lower 6,000 meter peak where there's hopefully more chance of getting up it as well. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know, maybe I'd like to go to India next year. And yeah, still definitely, to, to me, one of my big goals is to climb a, climb a cool new route on a 7,000 meter peak. And I still haven't done that. We didn't get up links are. And I'd like to, that's something I definitely would like to to achieve one day. Tick and I off hope, the list. Yeah, to tick, not just tick, but I think, yeah, tick <laughs> off the list and, <laughs> and do it be, you know, to me as an alpinist, that's what it's about. Mm. Because there's a big, massive difference between, until you've tried it, I don't think you realise it, the difference between climbing at low 6,000s as opposed to getting up to 7,000. It doesn't sound much height difference, but there's suddenly a lot more stuff that comes into factor acclimatization is way more important you can you can go onto a, a, a say a 6400 meter peak and you don't have to be super well acclimatized because you're not actually at high altitude for that long but as soon as you the complexity is evolving when you take it up to over 7000 it's just i think it's a very different ball game and it on paper it shouldn't be but it is for some reason i don't know why it's just there's all these factors that make it so to me i, I really would like to do a a big new route on a, I think on a, you know, on a seven thousand meter peak, so it would be a, one of the, one of the nice achievement. But, um, but yeah, there's so many other adventures in climbing to be had as well. It's, you know, I've had so many good trips to Alaska. Hmm. Uh, I definitely. Yeah, liked. You, you you had a, a go at uh, or you, you summited Denali. Yeah, we the... I climbed the uh, Slovak direct with uh, with Nick, which still to this day <clears> is one of my <throat> best experiences <throat> in the mountains. It was just perfect combination of amazing climbing. We, had, we got hit by some weather, so we had the, the epic type two bit was thrown <laughs> into it. And just, yeah, just absolutely special route to then. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, we, we summited and we were really disappointed. There wasn't, you know, Denali's this really popular mountain. And um, we, we got up onto where we joined the last summit ridge where we should join the normal route. And we kind of thought there'd be loads of people there. <laughs> and A, for the factor of just, we'd had this pretty wild experience being pinned down by a storm for 16 hours in this tent, not knowing if we we're going to get out of it. And we kind of, to see people would have been really nice. <laughs> but also just to go, like, we've just done that. And I know, I know as Brits, we're meant to be modest and not shout about it, but we, we were just grinning from ear to ear. And we just wanted to tell people what we'd done because it was just, just not to show off, just we were so psyched at what the route we just climbed because it was an amazing route. And there's no one there. And, it was, and we discovered that the weather had been that bad. No one had summited Denali for the last three days and we'd been struggling up the big, you know, nearly 3,000 metre south face. But yeah, that was... Slovak Direct goes down as probably one of my all-time mm-hmm. favorite climbing experiences. Just the commitment, the remote factor, the, 
the, the style of the climbing was really good. You don't often get such good quality climbing on a big route. There might be one or two pitches are really good, but this had like 1,200 meters of really good, enjoyable, fun, fairly safe, hard, technical, but fairly safe, good gear climbing, which was, was really good. And then, yeah, we got hit the Cassian Ridge and got some bad weather. And yeah, just, uh, yeah, definitely. I think Nick and I agreed that was one of our are better adventures in the mountains. So that's um, that's mixed climbing then? Yeah, mixed With climbing, yeah. Ice so axis and... Ice axis, all the climbing, yeah. That's, I say I'm not a super strong rock climber, so that's mm. what alpinism for me is, what I like. It's using a bit of rock climbing, a bit of ice climbing, you're mm. using your axes on the rock. Yeah. You, know, you keep climbing your axes and crampons all the time. Um, and yeah, it was really good, just like being in Chamonix, really. It's awesome little ice, going up little ice runnels, and yeah, really... Really, really good. And the good thing about Denali was um, it was um, f- took us four and a half hours to get down the normal route. <laughs> so was, we spent four days climbing up, and it just took <laughs> you know, just over four hours to get really easy to sense. So that was the, yeah. that was the good thing about Denali, mm. which people don't get. Um, mates back home, it's like, well, why didn't you just go up that way? And it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> that's what that's not what it's all about. Yeah, that's what it's all about. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, thank you so much for taking your time. Do you have anything you would like to add? Um, no, I think we covered it all. I think we covered it all. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Husky is produced in cooperation with Naturkompaniet and it is powered by Nordic Green Energy, Sweden's greenest energy company with 100% renewable energy sourced from solar, wind, and hydropower. Find them at nordicgreen.se. The music is made by Joel Mull. you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.